When Andrew and I start, first moved in 2010, we started looking for a house uh, that we could purchase and then live in. And eventually we found a little house over in Springfield that would fit our budget. And I remember going through the whole process of searching and then all of the inspections, then applying for a loan, getting approved. And at the time, you could sign some documents online, but mostly they wanted you to sign in person in the lawyer's office. And so we went to a lawyer's office to sign our closing documents. And I remember walking into the office and sitting at a large table with Andrea, my wife, our realtor, and then the uh, lawyer who was handling the closing. And she opened a large folder containing a, a, a very intimidating looking stack of papers. And we started to work our way through that stack of papers. How many of you are familiar with this scenario? Done it once or twice maybe. And, and so we started working our way through that that stack of papers, page by page, and she was summarizing the contents of the page and showing me where I needed to initial here and sign there. And to be honest, it was a bit dizzying. I had thoughts about whether we were gonna be able to do this, what our financial future would look like, what was I getting my family into, what, uh, what, what was there in this contract that I didn't understand, just hoping the lawyer was gonna be honest about this. And finally, we came to the last page that Required a signature. And this was it. You sign it, you complete the paperwork, and there is no going back. You own the home. You have all of the responsibilities for it, and you have all the payments for it. And I was nervous. I felt like I was signing my life and my family's future away, perhaps. And those feelings were probably way more dramatic than the reality of the situation because the home was tiny and cheap. Uh, but still, when I put the pen to paper for that last signature to sign the closing document so the house would be ours, the payments would be ours, the insurance and the taxes and the repairs would all be ours, it was an enormous leap of faith. But I knew we needed it and we were trusting the Lord's plan, so I put my signature on the page and it was done. And we now owned a home with all of its responsibilities and problems. And prior to our missions convention, Pastor Franco preached from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, about the importance of believing in Jesus so that we can have eternal life, and that belief in Jesus means trusting the revelation of God given to us through his son Jesus so that we can be born again. And these topics continue through the second half of chapter 3, which we're going to be looking at today. Only here, we're not hearing about Jesus' conversation with an antagonist, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, but we are hearing about John the Baptist's response to Jesus' message and his success, followed by the writers, that is, John the Apostle's summary and explanation of, of what it means. The heart of that explanation comes in verse 33. And this is what John the Apostle wrote about Jesus. He said this, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. A seal was a mark of authenticity or of ownership. A seal would be pressed into clay to ensure the authorship of a letter or to sign a legal document or when a ruler signed a law into effect. And in more recent times, seals may have been pressed into wax to ensure the authenticity of a letter that hadn't been opened, a document that had arrived without being tampered with. And in our time, you'll find sometimes holographic seals on things, like on your driver's license to ensure that it's not been forged, it's authentic. 
Most of us don't carry seals around, so what do we use instead? We use our signatures. You might sign a receipt to say that you've paid, if you've paid by credit card to say, I'm good for it, I will pay this back. You might sign a petition to indicate that you have a will or desire for something to change. Or like I did when we were signing uh, the closing documents for our house, you might sign a contract binding yourself to the responsibilities and ownership and repayment of a loan. And in all these cases, your your signature stands for you and your will, what you desire, what you've committed yourself to do. You're putting your name on the line and your name represents you. So what does it mean that if you receive the testimony of Jesus, you set your seal to this, that God is true? Well, the most obvious part of this would be to say that if you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. Jesus came from above and he is uh, the revelation of God to humanity, so that's true. He is the eternal word of God. But I think that there's more going on. There's more to setting your seal to this, that God is true, than just believing that Jesus is God as a statement. Or at least believing that Jesus is God should lead us to more than just that theological affirmation. That is, you might not know it, Excuse me, you might know it, but do you really know it? You've set your seal to this, God is true. You know it, but do you really know it? Has it gone from something that you believe culturally or because someone said that you should to actually setting your seal to it, putting your name to it, staking who you are, your life on it? And so today, from John chapter 3, I want to share this with you, that you should set your seal on God's truth, and we want to look at how does this passage define what that would mean for us. And we're going to begin by reading John 3, to 24, which say this, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. This was after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, where we read John 3.16 and that famous interaction about being born again. And it gives us a little insight into Jesus' early ministry that we don't get from the other gospel writers. They mostly talk about Jesus' early ministry in Galilee, the north part of Israel. But John reveals that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, shortly after he was baptized, there was a period where he and John actually ministered nearby one another in the southern part of Israel, near Jerusalem, or in a region known as Judea. And this simultaneous ministry of Jesus and John the Baptist sets the stage for what we read next from John 3, 25 to 30. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, that's Jesus, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Have you ever been at a wedding reception 
listening to the best man give his speech and thought to yourself, this guy didn't understand the assignment. Maybe he was going on and on and sharing stories that seemed like they were more about him than they were about the bride and groom, telling jokes, trying to get a laugh, and about halfway through, you think to yourself, this guy thinks the wedding is about him, when in reality, he could disappear and most people present wouldn't even care. They wouldn't know the difference. They're there for the bride and groom. They're not there for the best man. His whole job is to point people to the bride and groom, to serve the groom, to rejoice with the groom, but it seems like he's trying to steal the show. That wasn't the case with John the Baptist. He understood the assignment that God had given him. He knew that he wasn't the star of the show and that what God had given him to do wasn't to draw a crowd, to follow him. I think most of us will admit the value of humility. Most of us will say that we should be pointing people on to Jesus, but most of us also have an innate desire for attention. Extroverts love to be the life of the party. Introverts stay home and imagine what it would be like to be the life of the party. I know I am one. I'm not making fun of you, okay? It's easy to say that it's all about Jesus. But here is how that sounds in real life. He must increase, but I must decrease. And in an age of celebrity pastors, Celebrity worship leaders, celebrity churches, celebrity authors, social media celebrities, and celebrity Christians who are influential because they sing or play ball and not because of how closely they follow Christ. It can be very difficult to find a model for setting your seal that God is true. But those who serve the Lord with the most vitality are those who recognize that for Christ to increase, they must decrease. And that's not because you're not valuable. It's just because you're not Jesus. You're not the bridegroom. You're not the one who descended from heaven. You're not the revelation of God to man. Some of you might think you are, but you're not. That's why those who serve the Lord best and most consistently recognize themselves as servants. But there's more here. This wedding analogy helps to define what it means that we must decrease. At an ancient Judean wedding, the friend of the groom, or the best man in our terminology, organized the wedding and presided over the ceremony. So more than like the mother-in-law, he had a pretty big role in making this thing happen. In other words, even though it wasn't his wedding, neither was he just standing around watching he had something to do. He was pointing to someone else, but he was not passive in doing so. And that's certainly appropriate for the ministry of John the Baptist. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. It was never about him. It was never about his ministry or trying to pull people away from Jesus and make a following for himself. He was trying to point people to Jesus, but that didn't mean that he was passive in what he was doing. And that's true for you as well. We shouldn't treat the Christian life like we're the star of the show. And sometimes people make this mistake in, in two different ways. They may get involved in ministry and then make it all about them. It eventually becomes what they want and how they do things and not about pointing people to Jesus. It's very difficult for them to change or to accept things that, that may need to be tweaked or done differently because they have set their seal to this, that they are true. 
that my way is the way and that I have to be the one who is gonna do this my way and I have to be the one who this goes through. But opposite that, you also have people who say they want Christ to increase, but then they don't do anything about it. They stand and watch. They claim to believe the words of Jesus, but they're not involved in pointing anyone to him. They say, I'm decreasing. And so they shrink into the shadows. But really, all that they've done is make Christianity a way for them to feel okay about their lives without actually stepping forward and pointing anyone to the Christ that God has called them to highlight in their lives. And so they still make it all about them. They live as if salvation means the ability to do what they want without being bothered. But that's not causing Christ to increase. And in contrast, we have John the Baptist. He set his seal that God is true. What did that mean? It meant he was willing to decrease while working to point people to Jesus. It meant that he was willing to, to decrease and play second fiddle and be, the, and be the friend of the bridegroom and not the bridegroom himself, but that he wasn't passive in doing it, that he was actively saying, you go follow Jesus. In fact, we read in John chapter one, we covered this, that John actually told some of his own disciples, why don't you go and follow Jesus? John was active in doing this, and so ought we to be. What about you? Have you set your seal that God is true by saying he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease? Have you calculated what that means for your life? Perhaps it means that you need to have more humility towards your family. Maybe it means you need to have more humility in how you talk about your boss. Perhaps it means putting others before yourself generally in your life because you recognize you've been thinking an awful lot about you. Maybe you need to offer more of your time to Jesus in service or in prayer or that you should be willing to share Christ with others. Maybe you decreasing and Christ increasing will start with repentance changing your mind and no longer thinking of the world as revolving around you, but as resting in the hands of Christ. He must increase, you must decrease. And from John the Baptist's example, we see that to set your seal on God's truth means that you must decrease, but it also means that you must live in the truth. You must live in the truth. John the Apostle added a theological summary to what John the Baptist had said in verses 31 to 36. And so we're gonna read the, the first few verses, 31 to 34 now, and we'll cover those last two verses in a moment. John writes this, the Apostle writes this, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. You, we have to be careful not to allow John's style to confuse us. You could read this and think that it's a bit repetitious and winding, and that that may sound like it at first, but John is simply driving home a point that we find throughout scripture. And the point is this, truth is revealed by God. 
Now that's an important point, especially in the world we live in today. Truth is revealed by God. He comes from above. He who comes from above in this passage is Jesus. He who is of the earth is John the Baptist or could be any one of us. And of the earth doesn't mean worldly or sinful in this context. It just means that we don't have the same perspective or the same knowledge as Jesus because he is from above. And so to better grasp what John is trying to get across here, consider with me a a more common scripture, one that I'm sure you've heard, Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. I think it'll help us understand the concept John is trying to, to highlight for us. Isaiah says this by the word of God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. John is teaching us that God's ways are higher, and that Jesus came to reveal God's ways to us. That's what John meant when he says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He means he comes from God. He was with God in heaven forever and ever, eternally before this. And so he comes, and when he speaks, he's not just talking. He's revealing what's real and what is true. The Bible teacher Gary Burge points out the importance of this when he writes, truth then is something that descends, not something discovered through human labor. It is foreign, it comes from outside, and thus runs the risk of rejection. Now, the Bible obviously isn't saying that we can't discover some truths, like the law of gravity, or the laws of thermodynamics, or that ice cream is delicious, or some truth like that. It's not saying you can't know facts, that's not what the Bible is indicating. But if we're going to have a unifying theory of everything, which is what the Bible says we have in Jesus. We read earlier, Pastor Community Grace read Colossians chapter three. That passage says this, in him all things are held together. And if we're gonna have a unifying theory of how the world works, what it's about, why we're here, we cannot get that merely by studying the stars or trees or amphibians or whatever else your ology might be the study of. You only get it from theology, that is, what God has revealed to us through his son, Jesus Christ. No human work or learning can reveal your purpose. No labor can reveal God's plans. He must reveal those, and he has through his son, Jesus. And that's what John was writing in this book. But what this means for us is a paradigm change. It's a a new way of looking at the world and understanding how the world works. It's a new way of interpreting the world and living in it. Jesus put it this way, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What's he saying there? He's saying that faith brings you into a relationship with Jesus in which he reveals God to you, and now you see the world through the kingdom of God, and it's completely different. It turns things upside down. It's a complete change. Go back with me to Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And because God's thoughts are not our thoughts, sometimes we don't like them. Okay, maybe you all do. But sometimes we don't like God's thoughts. And that's why In verse 32, John wrote, 
he bears witness, that is, Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He brings truth, yet somehow people still reject it. Now, this doesn't mean that literally no one listened to Jesus or believed in him, but that the preponderance of people don't believe him. And every one of us finds what he says contrary to our own opinions and difficult to follow. Every one of us finds what Jesus says contrary to our own fleshly opinions and difficult to follow sometimes. To believe Jesus is not like believing other men. He is from above and he is the revelation of God to people. Through him we receive a whole different way of life. We don't get to pick and choose what we like. We set our seal to this if we believe in Jesus. God is true. What does that mean? It means I'm gonna follow him and listen to him regardless of what he says. Right? If he's true, then it's not a matter of I like this, I don't like this. It's a matter of I believe he's true, so I'm submitting my life to God through Jesus. Sometimes the truth Jesus brings confirms our beliefs. Sometimes it confronts our beliefs. You see a really great example of this in the apostle Peter. When asked who he thought Jesus was, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. The truth confirmed Peter's belief and revealed that he believed that what he had believed, he had received from God. But just a few verses later, we find Jesus saying to the same person, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He had received something from God and understood it, but he also still carried opinions with him that were not from God, they were from himself or from other men. Sometimes the truth, Jesus, the truth of Jesus confirms our beliefs, sometimes it confronts our beliefs, but to live in the truth means that we submit to the confrontation. We repent where we're wrong, and we follow where Jesus leads, not where we wish he would lead. And to set your seal on the truth of God means that you believe what Jesus reveals and you obey it. John 3.36 shows us that believing is obeying. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. To set your seal on God's truth means that you live in that truth by obeying that truth. You don't live your truth you live God's truth. You don't try to fit Jesus into what you want him to be, you let him make you what he wants you to be. One way we do this is by how we read his word. If you're gonna live in the truth, you're gonna to need to know what God's word says because that's the revelation about who Jesus is to us today and when you read his word, you're not trying to find out how his word confirms your assumptions. If you go to the word of God asking, how does this confirm what I already believe? You're doing it wrong because it may not. And you may find verses that you think confirm it, but instead you come to God's word and you say, Jesus, I'm here to learn what is right from you and I want you to change me. I don't want to read your word into what I already think and believe. There was a young man who was considering asking his girlfriend to marry him. 
He wanted to know what God's will was in all of this, so he opened his Bible, he started flipping through the pages, and he came across 1 Corinthians 7.36 where he read, let them marry. And so he decided, this is right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry her. Okay, he thought, God, God's word says let them marry. But then he asked, well, when should we get married? So he continued flipping through his Bible and he came across John 13, 27, where he read, what you are going to do, do quickly. So he decided, I gotta get her, I gotta get married quickly. Does anybody see the problem with this? Neither verse was read in context. He read what he wanted to in the Bible. And so often we do that, that's a silly example, but so often we come to the Bible wanting it to confirm our politics, wanting it to confirm our morality, wanting it to confirm our attitude, wanting it to justify our anger. And often what we will find, if we're willing, is that God does not confirm those things, he confronts those things. And he says, I wanna conform you into the image of my son. Don't think you can conform my son into your image. When we set our seal to the truth of God, it means we live in his truth. We've signed and said, I'm putting my life on this. Not that I am true, but that God is true. And I'm going to live like I believe it. Proverbs 14, 12 gives us a a great reminder to think about in this regard. It says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Jesus wants you to set your seal on him, believing that God is true, and your way won't end in death. And that's where John goes next. He drives home this point. To set your seal on God's truth means that you must decrease and live in the truth, but also that you must believe for life. And the verses 35 and 36 are sobering. We read them a moment ago, but let's read them again. It says this, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Everything hinges on what you do with Jesus. He's the revelation of God to humanity. His call is not that you straighten up your life, learn to think all the right things, believe all the right things, do all the right things, be able to decipher good from evil without error ever, any time in our convoluted world and convoluted circumstances of your life. Always pick the right political candidates, fight for the right causes, and be better than everyone else, and then he will receive you. That's not the gospel. The call of God to truth is that you believe his son, Jesus, and then you start following him. Now, he may change some of those things. He will change a lot of those things. But the call of God is not clean yourself up, make yourself right, become like this other person. The call of God is believe on Jesus, trust him, set your seal to this, sign your name to this, that Jesus has died for you and God has raised him from the dead and that is your hope and your salvation because Jesus is the truth. Notice that John says God has given all things into his hands. Think of truth as more than just observable facts about the world. Think of truth as the definition of what is good and what pulls everything together and what provides meaning for life because that's more of what John means by truth. He doesn't mean like, you know, the, the sky is blue or that kind of thing. He's not talking about the laws of physics. He's talking about what gives a cohesive meaning and purpose to life. How do we understand what we are 
here for. And that's what he means by truth. And that's Jesus. God has given all things into his hands. You will never be able to decipher all good and all evil in our world. You won't be able to pull meaning out of life on your own. But Jesus is the truth, and if you believe in him, you will have eternal life which means you'll have purpose and meaning that lasts forever and never ends. That's what God wants for you. It's why John 3, 16 to 17 are such well-known verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. God does not want you to be condemned. He gave the most precious gift he could give, the life of his son. The son of God became flesh and lived among us so that we could follow him and he gave up his life and by dying on the cross, taking the penalty of our sin, covering our shame so that by faith in him, we could be right with God and be saved. And the good news is that God raised him from the dead on the third day so that we can have new life in Jesus. Not only are we unable to find life by searching for it on our own, by trying to be good enough for God, we can't find life by, by working hard enough either. Instead, we must trust Jesus. You have to set your seal to this. That God is true. Not that I am true and I'll figure it out. But that God is true and the way he's made is the right way. He made a way for you to have real life by trusting Jesus. But if you don't, God's wrath remains on you. All of us are under God's wrath until we trust Jesus. You may not like that. You may decide you want to pursue your own truth. You may decide that you don't like the idea of a God who is angry at people because they reject him and they choose rebellion and sin. You can do that, but it doesn't make your choice true. What remains true, whether you recognize it or not, is that tr to trust Jesus makes you right with God. To reject him leaves you under God's judgment you don't get to make up your own way on this. You don't get to choose your own adventure. God created the world and he created you. And that means he has defined it and he gives it purpose and he holds it together and he decides right and wrong. And we've all sinned against him choosing our own rebellious ways and there is no hope of escape for us on our own. But praise be to God that he gives us a way of escape through his son, Jesus. For though we are under God's wrath without Christ, he has given his own son and he does not want you to be condemned. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember when I shared at the beginning about signing a contract for my first house and how it felt like I was signing my life away. That's what it means to set your, your seal on the truth of God. Jesus is the truth. So to set your seal on him means that you entrust your whole life to him. You believe and follow him. If you've not set your seal to God's truth, you can do that today. I'm gonna ask Shana and, and Pastor Camille Grace to come as we get ready to respond. It means that you put your faith in Jesus and you surrender your life to him. It means that you look to him as the source of your life. 
You believe in him for salvation and follow him in obedience and you will have eternal life. And God offers you this gift for free. God will forgive your sin. He'll cover your shame. He will make you right with him. He will give you, he, he will, he will give you real meaning, real truth in your life. So the question today is this. Will you give up your truth today and set your seal to God's truth, to Jesus? Will you believe in Christ for salvation? It could be that you responded to a call like this sometime in the past, but you didn't actually give your life to him. You prayed a prayer. Maybe it was insincere. Today, I wanna call on you to set your seal on God's truth by surrendering your life to him. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for just a moment, and if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, if you've not set your seal to this, that God is true. Maybe you attended a church in your past. Maybe you were raised in the church. And so you, you thought, well, I'm in because my parents were in. Or maybe, maybe you were raised as part of a religious group. And, and so, you know, even though you didn't go to church much, and even though it wasn't talked about much, you know, you called yourself Christian or you called yourself Catholic. And so you thought, well, I, I'm in, I'm good. Today, I want to challenge that. That to be saved means you set your seal. It doesn't mean you call yourself a name. It doesn't mean you take a title. It means you set your seal. It means you sign off and say, I believe this. I, I don't believe my truth. I'm not trying to define my life anymore. I've signed that I trust my life to Jesus, to his death and to his resurrection. If you've not trusted your life to the death and resurrection of Jesus, to the gift that God has made a way for you to have without your work, without your own ability. If you've not done that today, it is offered to you as a free gift. Don't think you can earn it. Just receive it today by faith. Set your seal to this, that God is true today. If that's you, you've not done that. You've not set your seal, signed your name, said, I believe Jesus and I've given my life to him. I'm gonna ask you to do something simple but bold so I can just pray with you for a moment this morning as I help you to understand and, and, and help you to express your faith in Christ. Would you just lift up your hand if that's you? You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. You don't, you don't have a real sincere trust in him. You've never set your seal to this, that God is true by believing and trusting your life to Jesus. Is there anybody like that? I'm gonna wait for just a minute because if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, if you sense something going on internally and God is talking to you, pushing you, nudging you, I'd encourage you, don't ignore that. Respond to him today. Is there anybody like that? Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? We're gonna pray. This prayer doesn't save you. It's not the words that I come up with that save you. Jesus saves you when you put your faith in him. I just wanna help you express that. And so I'm gonna lead in prayer. And as I pray, would you make it your own? Pray along with me internally or even with your words and, and trust your life to Jesus. Pray with me, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you today and I trust my life to you. I set my seal to this, that you are true. I've heard the gospel of Jesus this morning. I believe that he died for me and that you raised him from the dead. And today, I set my seal. I sign that I believe it's true. Today, Lord, I give up my truth thinking I'll define my own life, choose my own way, and instead I offer my life to you. Jesus, would you take it in all of its imperfection, in all of my failure and sin, I give it to you. Wash me, make me clean, make me new. I believe you to do it. And for today, I wanna follow you. I wanna 
go where you tell me to go. I want to go where you lead me to go. And I want my life to look more and more like you, Jesus. I pray this in your name and believe you to do that work in me today. Amen. Amen. Can we thank the Lord together this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we bless your name and thank you for the salvation you give us. We rejoice, God, that you are still saving people, that you're still ministering to lives, and we're looking for you to continue to do that. I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come, if you would, quickly, or pastors, if you're here, make your way forward. We wanna have people available to pray here at the end, believers. Sometimes we get so caught up in our Christian culture and our causes that we forget that Jesus didn't come to endorse us. Jesus was not sent by God to endorse our politics, our attitudes, or our opinions. Maybe you've been a Christian so long that you've started to think that all of your thoughts and all your opinions and all of your actions are Christian and that God puts his seal on them. You assume that if anyone disagrees with you, they disagree with God. To disagree with you is to disagree with God. You're no longer weighing your opinions and attitudes by God's word. I want to just ask, will you go back this morning to the moment that you set your seal to the fact that God is true? Remember, God is not on your team. You're on his team. There's a difference. He's the captain. You're not. If you've already set your seal on the truth of God, you don't need to be resaved today. I'm not suggesting anything like that. But you may need a reminder that you need to follow Jesus. Maybe you need a reminder that you need to decrease so that Christ can increase in your life. What would it look like in your life if that was the case? How is the Holy Spirit prompting you to decrease this morning so that you can be more like Jesus and point others to him? Maybe you need a reminder to dig into his word and find out what's really truth, not just go to his word to, to confirm your own opinion or what makes you angry, not just to confirm what you've heard on TV or through somebody else. Will you go back for a moment and remember that you've set your seal to this, that God is true, and you've done it by entrusting your life to Jesus. I'm gonna pray to close, but if, if you wanna just pray with somebody or respond by saying, I, I wanna go back and remember that I've set my seal. God is true. And you'd like somebody to pray with you about that and agree with you. It's not the walk of shame to be prayed with here at Bethany. It is just a, a sign that I want to be in partnership with a brother or sister in Christ. So if that's you, you want to just seal that again in your heart today. Then as we pray or after we pray, would you come forward and we would love to pray with you. And also if you responded to give your life to Christ this morning, I'd love for you to come and to pray with one of our prayer partners. They've got a book they'd love to give to you just to say thank you and to help you understand how do I follow Jesus from here. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you've sent your son Jesus and that he's the revelation of your purposes and your truth to us. Lord, today we set our seal to this, that you are true, and we do that by believing Jesus. We do it by entrusting ourselves to you. Lord, you see that sometimes we get so full of trust in ourselves that we forget we're supposed to be depending on you. We should be looking to your word for guidance, not just trying to confirm our own wisdom from your word. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you'd restore in us a, a boldness and an expectation and an enthusiasm for following Jesus this morning. And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd reveal in each of our hearts and lives where it is that we need to decrease, where we need to fall into the background even as we keep pointing people to Jesus so that you might be honored, so that you might increase, so that your name might be praised. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that. 
And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to walk behind Jesus and not get in front of him. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, please come forward. We would be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great day. We'll see you this afternoon for the Fall Family Festival. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.